Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcast hosting apps, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and many others. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, and the Family Podcast Network. Episodes also air each Saturday at noon and Sundays at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 AM across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send questions, comments, feedback, or guest suggestions to pcfpodcast at vhha.com. Again, that's pcfpodcast at vhha.com. I'm Will Selden, and today we're pleased to be joined by Dr. Michael Feldman, the medical director of the Evans Haynes Burn Center at VCU Health. We'll discuss his clinical work, the importance of Burn Awareness Week, and more in just a moment. But first, welcome to the show, Dr. Feldman. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Will. This is a, a great honor, and we always love talking about how to prevent burns and how to help patients. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking some time. We like to start these conversations generally by just getting to know our guests a little bit more. So we know you attended medical school at VCU, did your residency there before you went to a fellowship at Johns Hopkins Bayview Medical Center, I believe. So beyond those sort of surface details, tell us your, your personal story and any highlights you'd like to share. Oh, yeah. I was always interested in helping patients who had complex problems. And I fell in love with burns because you meet people who shape your life when you're in training. And I just was very lucky to meet people who were champions in the burn field. And they helped me to grow my my understanding of burn and to see that it's so much more than just medicine. It's helping people throughout their entire lives. It's education, it's research, it's a growing field with so much to offer. And then beyond that, there's much more that we can do that has grown over the years with scar management and helping people reintegrate into society. And it's very exciting and it is contributing to society in a way that is very meaningful. And that all speaks to me as a surgeon and a physician and a dad. So I, I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. Healthcare's constant complexities and distractions can make it difficult to focus on medicine. Covaris can help. Covaris offers medical liability insurance, value-based care risk protection, employer stop-loss insurance, and so much more. You can count on Covaris for protection and services that help you stay free to focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Find out all that Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries. I think generally when people think of what plastic surgeons do, their minds may generally associate that with cosmetic procedures. In your case, the work is focused on treating damaged skin, reconstructive procedures like you mentioned. So I wonder if you could sort of drill down on that specialty and area of practice as opposed to cosmetic surgeries. Yeah, absolutely. All that that means is that you have training in a way to handle soft tissue and look at problems in a way where you can think outside the box, where you can apply principles that you learn as a plastic surgeon. For instance, 
there's a certain way to approach uh, repairing a burn injury that may be similar to how you fix a cosmetic problem. So you can meld those two areas and, and optimize your outcomes. I work with people who have plastic surgery training and non-plastic surgery training. And in the bird world, I think that's what gets you the optimal outcome is having a team, a team effort. It's lots of people working together. So I like to bring my background in plastic surgery and meld that with others. And that's what I think gets our patients the best outcome. That's really fascinating. I like how you mentioned sort of combining different areas of, of practice and experience. That's really cool. Well, we noted that you're the, the medical director of the Evanstein's Burn Center, like we've been talking about, which was established back in 1947, has the unique distinction of being the oldest civilian burn center in the nation, which is very cool. For those who might be unaware, the Burn Center is a regional resource to treat acute burns and provide reconstructive care for burn survivors and people injured by fire, chemical, electrical burns, as well as disease-related skin loss. The center provides care to hundreds of patients each year, both adult and pediatric with all that sort of background context, tell us a little bit more about some of the initiatives of the Burn Center and some of the work that y'all do there. Absolutely. We we are invested in our patients. Whatever we need to help them get better and to have the best possible outcome, that's what we're going to do. So as, as that, we have all the resources and the backing from the Virginia Commonwealth University to help our patients. So everything is under one roof. That means we have specialized care across the continuum of what a burn patient needs. And that is everything from the best trained trauma doctors, nutrition specialists, physical and occupational therapists, pediatrics, pain control, anesthesia, our, even down to our environmental services are all burn specialized in, in all under one roof. And everybody is trained and focused on the burn patient. We're the only nationally verified burn center in the Commonwealth of Virginia, and that's a distinction that requires a lot of resources and a lot of work. And they come back every three years and they they kick the tires and they say, hey, is the Evanstein's Burn Center living up to the American Burn Association standards? And uh, we recently had a, another successful verification and we're very proud of this and we bring that expertise to our patient care. So each year Burn Awareness Week is observed in early February. This year's theme was handle with care flammable liquids beware, I believe. Statistics from the National Institutes of Health indicate that about 400,000 patients in the US receive burn care each year with about a third of those injuries occurring in children younger than 15. Several years ago, you were outspoken about the dangers of the social media fire challenge that had gained some popularity. And what that and some of the other numbers suggest is that there are many ways that burn injuries can occur. So as a physician sort of involved in the, in the treatment of burn injuries, what safety guidance and advice would you offer to the public as they take steps to protect against those kind of injuries? That's a great question. I think there are some specific things that folks can do to protect themselves and their families. One thing that is very straightforward is getting a, a fuel arrestor if you're using gas in a container. A lot of folks will fill up gas containers for their, their lawnmower, or their snowblower, or what have you. And there's the potential for a flashback if there's some kind of 
flame or, or heating element near that container, and the fuel arrestor will prevent that. And it's, it's relatively cheap and easy to buy, and it, I just don't think that some folks know about it. So if you've got a container, get a fuel arrestor, and that, that may save your life or, or some significant injury. So I see a fair number of people who use accelerants on open flame, and I, I think that in general, it's never safe. Don't use an accelerant if it's gas or kerosene or even aerosol sprays to start a fire. Folks will use it on campfires or brush fires or burning trash, and that, that's usually where we see these things happen. And oftentimes it's a situation where they say, oh, I've been doing this for years. And it just takes one time to, to have a life-changing situation happen. So just avoid that. I've also seen people use gasoline on uh, engines that are still warm, like refilling the warm lawnmower or the warm, you know, leaf blower or something like that. And that's a fire hazard too. So let it cool down, make sure it's outdoors uh, before you fill it back up, please. On this podcast, we actually previously featured a, a burn center patient named Charlie Xavier, who, sh- mm-hmm. who suffered severe burns covering 85% of her body from a construction accident. Thankfully, she's made a positive recovery due to the care she received from y'all, which speaks to the skill of you and your team and the advances in care Sort of looking forward, what are some of the promising advances on the horizon in terms of burn care as it evolves? We are always looking for how we can advance burn care. And I see down the line better ways to take care of the burn early on, removing injured tissue, as well as reconstructing patients. So there's far more options nowadays than there were when all of this started, and I expect that that's going to continue to grow and evolve. We're involved in multiple studies, so some that look at products to help stabilize the wound and provide a wound bed that is going to scar less and give you more function down the line. We're also looking into our research on how to help people who don't See burns as often to diagnose the depth of the burn and to figure out who needs to be in a burn center and who may uh, perhaps benefit more from an outpatient visit. So that's something that I think would say with resources and help with unnecessary patient transports, but also make sure that people get care when they need the care. We look at ways to improve pain, ways to improve efficiency. And we're looking to do this for our adult and our pediatric population. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's that's really fascinating and good to have sort of a long-term perspective from someone of, of your stature and about what we can sort of expect coming forward or, or be excited about going forward. Before we let you go, it's tradition on this podcast to ask our guests just a couple fun questions to close things out. So I have a list of 10 mystery questions that we'll draw from when you're ready, if you give me two numbers between one and ten, I'll read you those corresponding questions to close things out. Okay. Five and seven. Alrighty, number five. If you could spend the day with one person from history, living or otherwise, who would it be and why? It could be modern history, ancient history, anybody you like. Ooh, I would I would like to 
spend it with Dr. B.W. Haynes. He was one of the founders of this burn center, and I have read so much about him. I have some of his journals that his family were gracious enough to lend to me, and I've read so much about him. He was a gentleman surgeon. He helped found this burn center. He started the whole trauma system here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. He was an amazing man. I'd love to, I would love to sit down with him and say, here's what we're doing now and compare it to how he did things. And uh, I know it would be a very interesting time and I'd learn a lot. Yeah, I think so too. Okay. And number seven, this is a classic. If you could choose any one superpower to have or any one skill to instantly master, what would it be and why? So we threw in that one skill to instantly master sort of wrinkle just to just to mix up the classic question. So any superpower or, you know, like if you've always wanted to learn an instrument or something like that, you could you could choose that instead. Oh, wow. Hmm. This is not easy. I know. It's a it's a big question. The hard hitting questions at the end. <laughs> hmm. If I had a skill I could master, it would be the ability to communicate with anyone in any language and understand what they were saying and their intent and and they would understand me and i i think that that would be an amazing skill to have you know because traveling and talking to people is so interesting and it but it's also difficult and there's so many nuances to how people communicate and talk and process information but it's also very it, it's part of the core of medicine and and being a uh, physician you, you've got to know how to communicate and that's very important yeah that one definitely has applications in in professional and personal situations for you i would imagine so that'd be super cool i'm with you i think i think being able to communicate with you know the whole array of languages and and like you said sort of pick up people on people's intent stuff like that would be would be a great skill to have or a superpower depending on how you class it that would be great um well those are those are both fantastic answers and with that we have come to the close of another episode of the virginia hospital and healthcare association's patients come first podcast if you liked what you heard please make sure to leave us a five-star review on apple podcast and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released we want to once again thank our guest dr michael feldman for joining us today so, Dr. Feldman, thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Will. This is great. I much appreciate the opportunity.